As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G. And today I'm joined by documentary filmmaker, Josh Carples. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, obviously you have a new documentary coming out soon. In fact, by the time this episode comes out, it should have been dropped. And I will have, hopefully, links in the show notes and everything. And this will be Remembering Anarcha. So, we are headed to state's capital. And there's a statue right underneath the trees there, hidden in plain sight, that was erected in 1939, James Marion Sims. So J. Marion Sims is considered the father of modern gynecology. And he felt that the African-American had a much higher tolerance of pain. And so if there's a father of gynecology, there must be a mother somewhere, right? And so it was those three women um, that he operated on the most. Even though a lot of people had been writing about Sims and the young woman in Arca, no one had actually gone looking for her. All of the history is not being told. We, we used to telling this one part of the history. I don't know how he would have felt about people putting statues up to him. If you don't tend to your history, it crumbles, it falls apart. And that's exactly what we're trying to do by remembering Anarcha Westcott. Right here in the heart of Dixie, cradle of the Confederacy. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So remembering Anarcha details the history of a doctor known as J. Marion Sims, who was originally from South Carolina, and he experimented, we're talking late 1840s here. He, uh, he's known as the father of modern gynecology, and he, but the way he got that title was from experimenting on enslaved African women in the 1840s with no anesthesia. Oh, rough. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Your reaction is exactly what anybody's reaction should be to that story. And so he has, there, there's a statue of this man on the state capitol grounds in Montgomery, Alabama, which is where I live. That's my hometown. And like, like I'm from here. I am from Montgomery, Alabama. I have been here since I was probably about four or five years old. So long time, long time. And even growing up here, I did not hear about the story, even though that statue has been there since 1939. Wow. Well before I was born. Right. You know, like <laughs> I get like a lot of people would be like, dude, you're old, but like, I'm not that old. I'm not 1939 old. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I was born in the eighties, but I'm not, I'm not 1939 old. So the fact that that has been there since 1939 and me growing up here, I didn't know about that man or what he did to learn everything to be become known as, quote, the father of modern gynecology. Like, I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that story, even being from here, even with him having a statue on the Alabama State Capitol grounds. 
And so once I did find out about it and the story, I was like, well, hell, if I'm from here and I don't know about this story, how many other people might not know about this story? So I contacted some friends of mine that are also filmmakers, uh, C. Dwayne Cunningham, Royce Williams. And I said, hey, I'm chasing this story. Would you guys be interested in helping me out with this? Uh, and they were like, dude, you're working on something. We got you. Like, that's my people. I love them. They got my back no matter what. You know, I mean, so like they jumped on board immediately. And I mean, this was in 2018. So, I mean, it's been a little while. We, we started working on this film in 2018 and they jumped on board immediately. And we started setting up interviews and working on this film and it will be out now on may 4th on most video on demand outlets so itunes amazon comcast at&t playstation okay. network or whatever that's called playstation store i don't know i don't have a PlayStation. i don't play video games so <laughs> i i don't know but it's a lot of places we we partner with a company called gravitas ventures and they've got distribution rights for the U.S. and Canada. So it's pretty much anywhere that video on demand is available in both U.S. and Canada. Like there were some companies on the list that they sent me that are in Canada. And I'm like, I'm not in Canada. I've never heard of this company, but it's out there. So if you have friends in Canada, like if, if, if any of your listeners are listening to this podcast in Canada, it will be available on May 4th. But uh, on, on iTunes, it will be available and I'm hoping to have pre-orders up soon, but I think this podcast is coming out after that. So, Yeah, and as long as he has them, I'll have them in the show notes. I'll post them on social media, so it'll be out there for everyone to see, definitely. Oh, so. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Dude, first of all, going let, let me rewind a little bit. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Like, no I really appreciate it, man. This means a lot. It really does. Oh, I am like, I am a nobody in Montgomery, Alabama, and you have given me a chance to both talk about my favorite movie, which is, you know, what your podcast is about, but also to promote a film that I actually made. And so that's awesome, man. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Uh, You're absolutely welcome. That's what I love to do. I love to give indie filmmakers who are out there just doing stuff on their own that voice to be heard, you know, a chance to get their stuff out there. I like to try to help any way I can. It is very much appreciated because we had, you know, we, we made this whole movie with no budget. Like we didn't have any kind of backing or anything. Like it was three guys. It was three people, man. It was, it was me and my two, two other producers that made the whole movie. And there, there was no studio backing. we used equipment that we already had. That helps. I mean, you know, I mean, it was like, I got a camera, you got a camera, here's some audio equipment. We need to make this movie because this is an important subject. And we did it not knowing whether it would ever even see the light of day. You know, I mean, at first, my first, so I have made one documentary before this, one feature length documentary, I should say. I've done like short projects and stuff, but I made a movie called Commit to the Song, which is about a songwriter's event here in Montgomery, Alabama at a place called the Cloverdale Playhouse that goes into the history of the, um, there's a lot of tragedies that have surrounded that event. Mm. And so 
I, I did a documentary about that and I, I didn't have distribution for that one. So I ended up putting that one on Amazon myself and it's still on Amazon. So if anybody wants to see it, it's called commit to the song, but you know, I just kind of figured I, I don't have backing. I don't know people. I'm probably going to have to do the same thing with this one, but we lucked out and we partnered with, uh, Gravitas Ventures, and so now it's going to be in a lot more places than I could get it into by myself. So we are very grateful for that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So did you just interview, like, local people around, or were you able to, like, once you started digging up information, you found other people to go to, like, outside of Alabama? Well, so, yeah, so we – a lot of people are in Alabama that we talked to in the film. There are – the person that got me – interested in this in this story uh her name is michelle browder and she has an awesome project that is about to be unveiled in montgomery alabama very soon i think it's this month she is doing like a 15 foot tall monument to the mothers of gynecology anarcha lucy and betsy in like what's close to downtown montgomery and that is amazing in and of itself but her art is what caught my attention to this story and inspired me to pursue this subject matter and so we we talked to her we talked to there she's an artist as well as like an activist and is raising awareness on this subject there's another artist in town named kevin king he wonderful human being just I, I i love both of them they're both wonderful human beings i love them but they're both artists and they i mean they speak out about important subjects in this town and um but then we we talked to in montgomery i was told there were only two black female obgyns and so we got one of them to be in the film and we went to uh the university of alabama at birmingham uab in in Birmingham, it's part of the name, but you know, in Birmingham, there's a, uh, a history professor up there that deals with a lot of antebellum history. And so we're talking pre-Civil War in the in the film. So she's in the film. Uh, there's a head of surgery at UAB that is in our film. He's actually writing a book about Sim, uh, about the doctor, uh, James Ernie Sims himself. So we got them and we got, there's an author that at the time, I think he was living in New York. He's originally from California, and we've become friends since this project started, named J.C. Holman. And he has a book coming out next year called The Anarcha Quest, where he set out to, I mean, you know, like when it comes to America and the history of slavery, when it comes to people that were not considered people at the time, records were not good. And this guy, J.C. Hallman, he decided to, when he found out about this story, he decided to track down the life of Anarka, also known as Anarka Westcott, Westcott, because she came from the Westcott Plantation. That wasn't really her last name, even though she's known as Anarka Westcott, but that was the plantation that she came from. So that's where the name Westcott comes from. But he decided to basically track down her life and find evidence that she existed apart from the, the writings of James Marion Sims. Because until his research, which is very modern, until his research 
all that we knew about Anarka was from Sim's writings. And so this, this author tracked her life history and found out where she ended up. And so my producers and I were like, well, that is, that is important. So uh, one of my producers and I actually drove from Montgomery to, oh, what city was that? Oh, it's been, we've been working on this since 2018. So I'm trying to think of like the city, but we, we drove up to Virginia to meet up with him. And he actually took us to where she ended up in Virginia. Oh, wow. Which, okay. Like his research, like literally, like our film is, is going to be the first to present I guess, better word, I was going to say exposed, but I think present works better. I'm a PR guy, so I think about wording a lot. So I, I feel like uh, our documentary is going to be the first to present that information officially that we found this guy that wrote a book and did all his research and found out where she ended up after she left Alabama. So, uh -huh. it is, I mean, it's been an absolutely just fascinating journey for the for the whole documentary and we feel it's such an important subject because what's interesting about this subject is that last year john oliver on his show last week tonight on hbo he did a segment about it, it had to do with a medical school and there was a survey taken of medical students talking about where there there were still like at least 10 or more percent so i mean i'm not saying it's a high percentage but it's enough to be in the double digits you know where there were at least 10 or more percent of people that believed that that black people felt less pain than white people or had thicker skin than white people like shit that's just like very unscientific and has no basis in reality but it was still in a survey done with modern medical students in like either 2019 or 2020 where they still held this belief that people held in the 1840s when the subject matter of our film takes place. And that is just crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mind boggling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mind boggling. Like why, especially if you're in the medical field, right? why would 10% of medical students in medical school still believe something like that? That is, to me, that is insane. Yep. And that's why even though like the subject matter of our documentary is based in the 1840s, it's still relevant today here in 2021, because apparently there are still people that believe shit that was being, can I cuss on this? I'm sorry. Yeah, you're I, fine. You're fine. You're fine. Okay. Hey, <laughs> I need to be on like a fucking five second delay, man. I, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So, um, <laughs> I meant to ask that from the start because I cuss a lot, but <laughs> yeah. So the fact that people believe that shit today, it's, I don't know. It's fucking mind boggling to me. I don't understand why, like there's no basis in reality for that opinion at all, but there's still people that hold it and people in the medical field and it's in the double digits when it, you know, even, 10% still double digits. Yeah. So exactly. whether it's 10 or 15%, that's still too many people believe yeah, in bullshit that <laughs> have medical access to you if you go to a hospital or something. Right. Kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So and 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 you and I, like from the video, I can tell you like you're a white dude. I'm a white dude. If we can say it's scary, imagine like not being a white dude. 
and knowing that there are people that believe that that's crazy to me that that is just that is fucking crazy to me it really is and so that will be remembering anarcha coming out may yes. 4th may 4th uh pretty much anywhere vod it sounds like there's gonna be a lot of yep. them yep we got good distribution i'm very happy about that i've never been actually <laughs> As a filmmaker, I've never been at this point. I've never been at a point where, like, there was a company that wanted to distribute my film. So <laughs> I am very happy about that. But I also, I, I think the subject matter is very important. All right. So I hope everyone will check it out. But as you teased earlier, we're going to talk about your favorite movie. Yes. We're talking about Pulp Fiction. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Miramax Films asks the question, what are two hitmen, one girlfriend, a boxer, and the secret suitcase have in common? That's a good question. The answer, they're all part of the most electrifying film of the year. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, and Bruce Willis. You won't know the facts until you see the fiction. Pulp Fiction, rated R. Starts October 14th everywhere. Dude, I cannot believe that this has not been taken like a hundred times on your podcast at this point. I think people are just scared to touch it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they just assumed it would be taken and didn't ask. Maybe, man. But like, I've got to be the dude to ask because that is literally my favorite movie. I love that film. All right. So when did you first see Pulp Fiction? I, so, okay. I, I think it won the Oscar in 94, if I am correct on that. So I think I watched it when I was um, I was a teenager. I can't remember exactly when. I was probably like 14 or 15, maybe. And when I first watched it, I, I didn't like it. Like, I didn't understand it. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. I was like, that dude just got shot in that scene and now he's alive. Like, <laughs> I didn't understand the, the non-linear aspects or, or anything like that. But, okay, so yeah, I saw the movie when I was a teenager and I didn't, I didn't get it. It did not speak to me at that time. And then I got... I, I, I don't remember when I watched it, when it finally clicked, but I finally, I watched the movie as an adult and I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Why did I not like this before? It's so good. And there's so many layers to it. And that's, that's the, the nonlinear aspect and the fact that there are so many layers to it. I, I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. For anyone on the off chance that hasn't seen Pulp Fiction, do your best to give a synopsis of Pulp Fiction because that's a difficult well, one, really. It, it really is like, so first of all, if you haven't seen it, just fucking watch it. Damn, like, because like a synopsis is not going to do it good. So, okay, so first of all, hold on, I don't know if I can do this from my phone right now. I literally, I want to pull up the IMDb. I hope I can get back to the video, man. Like, cause shit, I'm trying to pull up the, uh, uh, I'm trying to pull up the synopsis for the film. Can you still see me? I don't see you. No, it just shows your name. Oh shit. Okay. But you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to go with that just for the synopsis purposes. And then I'll jump back on the camera. So on IMDB, I just, I love the IMDB thing is so broad. 
it doesn't tell you anything and i love it so it says the lives of two mob hitmen a boxer a gangster and his wife and a pair of diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption yes that's the imdb like synopsis of the film and i i, I read that as, as many times I've seen this film, I read that and I was like, wow. It's so, I mean, it's accurate, but damn, like it's so fucking broad. Yeah. Oh, very broad. Very broad. Yeah. But it's still funny. Like, and that's what makes it funny to me is the fact that it's so broad. Like, it doesn't really tell you shit. It's just like, hey, there's four storylines that intersect. I mean, that you could have said like, similar shit about what 21 grams babel amores perros i probably fucking butchered that pronunciation <laughs> yeah but there's two r's i tried to roll my r sorry so yeah i'm trying to roll my r's because i feel like that is the that is in the name that is the appropriate amores perros I said amores. That's not Roy. Oh, you said amores. Amores perros. It, it means like life's a bitch, right? Does right? that mean loves a bitch? Loves a bitch. Or, I mean, that works Amore too. is love. Okay, yeah. Kimber, <laughs> you okay with that? I need to get your permission. I consent to this. She consents. All right. <laughs> you got consent. You don't have to rug it. All right. Um, yeah, so like... Even though all three of those films were from the same director, but they're all they're all like multiple storylines that coincide oh, and interact. Atlas, which is a bitch to watch on South. I I have not seen Cloud Don't Atlas. Don't do it. I've been told not to watch Don't Cloud do Atlas. Don't do it. So there's Don't that. <laughs> so not, yeah, I have I, I, like I think Tom Hanks is in it, but that's all in it. But those three films had the same director, and I believe the director of photography, the same director that did um he did Birdman and The Revenant, but there was a different writer on those two films. Okay. But it was the same director. Uh, it's, his, his last name is like in, in, Inyarutu. Yeah, it's, I think it's Alejandro which, Inyarutu. Or yeah, like that. and I'm probably butchering his name, which I'm sorry for anybody listening to this. I am so sorry. Oh, I'm bad with names, but... <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying. I, I I respect his work. I absolutely like all of those films, Birdman and The Revenant. I mean, they're all incredible. I mean, seriously, they are fucking wonderful films. But the first three had the same writer, and they uh, but they all had intersecting storylines. So I kind of look at it in a similar way as that. Even though Pulp Fiction, in 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 my opinion, I think Pulp Fiction kind of normalized the non-linear storyline aspect. And that's one of the things, one of the many things that I love about that film is that it did that. It made okay. that more popular. I mean, I'm not saying oh, that yeah. that's the yeah. first film to do that by any means, but I, I think it's like, with that being an Oscar winner, being non-linear, I think it's one of the first to get to that level without having to be a linear storyline. Probably are right, and he definitely that it, fair was, to say? it was a game changer. Yeah, I think so. That that movie's definitely a game changer. So before we move on, what else do you love about it? Like, I, I don't need a list of everything, but just what do you want to say so that you have your? Well, for me, as I I am a Tarantino nerd when it comes to his films. Like, I love his films, and I love the fact that he has like three universes that he can play with at this point. 
the way all of his films connect because I, I nerd out on that shit too, man. I really, dude, I am a Tarantino nerd. I do that shit. So I, I love like as a writer also, because like I'm a filmmaker, I write, I direct, I edit, I score. I'm a musician as well. So I, I mean, I do a lot of shit, but like, I love the dialogue aspect of his films because I, 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 I don't like my first instinct is to say it's real, but I, it's not really real, but it's like, it's real in his universe, I guess, if that makes sense. It's uh, like in Bull Fiction, you got, you got two guys that are hitmen and they're going to a place where they're like going to kill some dude. And what are they talking about? They're talking about fucking, what are hamburgers called in the Netherlands, you know? I mean, whereas if you were to watch a modern version of that by some director that was not Quentin Tarantino, there would be somebody talking about, all right, so when we get there, we're going to do this and that or whatever. Like, they're going to be in, like, planning mode or some shit. And it's like, no, if you've been doing this long enough with the same guy, yeah, you're not going to be talking about what you're doing because you already know each other. Like, okay, this guy's been out of the country for a while, but it's still your friend. Right. That you work with, you know, your coworkers, you know how they act. You're not going to have to sit there and go through every aspect of like, what are we about to do? Because you already fucking know. And so, like, he didn't even play into where even they were going. Like, if you were to watch that movie, not knowing they were hitting, you'd be like, there's two dudes talking about hamburgers in the Netherlands. If you if you like cut it off right there, you would be like, I saw two guys talking about hamburgers from mcdonald's in the netherlands (laughs) and you wouldn't know shit else about the film and that is the fucking point like it that the dialogue to me as a filmmaker and a writer that's what makes it so real it's because like that's what they would be talking about that is legit the like mundane day-to-day bullshit (laughs) That they would be conversing about. They wouldn't be like, all right, so when we get there, you take the left side and I take the right side of the door and then we'll question about this. No, fuck that, man. We're like, all right, we know what we're doing. We're professionals. Like, you just got back from the Netherlands. What's a hamburger called over there? What's a quarter pounder? Oh, they got the metric system. Yeah. Like, nobody gives a shit about like what you're doing because you do it every day. That's your job. Now, I guess you and I as people that are not hitmen well i don't know your day job don't let me assume you might be and if you are you're obviously good at it because you can still run a podcast (laughs) and like not be caught by the cops so man if that's your day job props but if you learned anything from from pulp fiction you know like give credit where it's due that's all that's all i ask all right (laughs) all right so let's move on now, this one gets a little difficult. We're not going to give away. Well, really, depends how you want to look at it. Let's go into some sequel territory. Okay. If you could do a sequel, try not to give the endings away. But, I mean, okay. it's so all over the place anyway. What would you want to do? Honestly, I would not want to do a sequel. I like So, there was talk at a certain point where Tarantino was talking about doing a Vega Brothers movie that was going to be a prequel. Okay. And for, for me, that is what I would love to see because you had, you know, I mean, so for anybody 
listening to your podcast that's not a Tarantino nerd like I am, like his movies connect in sometimes more than subtle ways and sometimes very subtle ways. And so the movie before Pulp Fiction was Reservoir Dogs, which had a character played by uh, Michael Madsen. Yep. And his character name was uh, Victor Vega. So you had Vic Vega and then John Travolta's character in Pulp Fiction was Vincent Vega. The Vega brothers, yep. Vic and Vincent. So there was actually talk at some point of him doing a Vega brothers film. But we know what happens to John Travolta. God, I feel like I'm giving a spoiler right now. So this came out in 1994. If you haven't watched it, like, fuck you, man. John Travolta's character gets shot. You should know this by now. It's fucking 2021 shit. So, his character gets shot, so you can't do a sequel. If they don't know this, I'm sorry if I'm fucking up your audience right now. But, like, there should be a Vega Brothers prequel. And he was talking about that, and I would fucking love to see that. Vega Brothers prequel. the weirdest one you've done so far? Yep. (laughs) Is that a good thing? I'm sure it will be. Okay. I mean, I did interview a guy on. He was out on his boat down in Alabama, actually, Lake Martin. Oh, really? Oh, that's not. I mean, that's like an hour, hour and a half from here. That's not. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. If if you're not familiar with the film Troll Two, do you know Troll Two? Yeah. Oh, oh, was it the uh, the dentist? Yeah. Oh shit! I met him. I saw Troll Two at the uh, Capri Theater in Montgomery. And I met him. I'm friends with him on Facebook, actually. Yeah, I'm unless he deleted with... me, I don't know. I post some political shit sometimes, so he may have deleted me. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I haven't checked recently. I'm yeah. a leftist, and he may not like that. I have no idea, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, but yeah, I, I interviewed him and a few other people from Troll Two. That oh, was last dude, summer. Man. Yeah, that was with a different show I was doing back then. But yeah, he was. Oh, okay. He did it from his boat out on Lake Barton. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I, I feel like that's close to where his dentist office is. That's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. His dentist <laughs> office is like like you can see like Martin from his office. Okay, okay, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, like when I met him, he's a cool dude, man. I love Troll too, and uh, the uh, the documentary that yeah. that he was in, man, that was really that was a really good documentary. It really was. It really was. I liked it. I liked it. All right, so back Vega Brothers. I don't know where prequel. I was. Vega Brothers prequel. Vega Brothers prequel, yeah, like I would, uh, I would love to see that, even still. But I don't think we could do it at this point because, yeah. I mean, it's been so many years. John Travolta <laughs> and uh, Michael Madsen, and you can't do a sequel because one of like yeah. they're dead, but their characters are dead. So unless they did like, didn't they like de-age people in The Irishman? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if they did that. Maybe they can do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, but I, like, but I don't, I don't see Tarantino doing that shit. I feel like Tarantino is just like, no, nah, I'm gonna write something different. Like, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But I would still love to see it. Like the concept of that joining those two films, which are already joined by name of those characters. I, I mean, shit, I would love to see that, man. It's just like there was talk about a third Kill Bill where the. Um, Vivica Fox, uh, oh, I can't remember her like assassin name, but yeah, I can't remember her either. daughter 
yeah. that witnesses all that. Like she's like old enough now. If she was a if she was an actor, holy shit, she could like that would be a cool ass sequel of her going after Uma Thurman. Yeah, I've heard that. That would be rad, you know. But I mean, that's in his cinematic universe, not in his real universe. It's still a different universe, right? <laughs> but I still love the way his shit ties together. So there's that. <laughs> All right. So something we could do. Not saying I want to see it done, but if we could, would be the remake territory. So a remake. Would, a remake, and who would we be casting in some of these roles? Yeah. Okay, so with that, I've, I've thought about that. I've thought about that a good bit. And so with Samuel L- so the main two characters I think of, when I think of Bolt Fiction, I think of John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. Agreed. Like, to me, those are the main two. I know there's Uma Thurman, there's uh, Ving Rhames. There, there's so many people in the film, but the main two people I think of when I think of that movie is the Hitman, yep. you know? So in thinking about that, like, First of all, uh, what's that? John David Washington. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think he would be really good if we had to redo the film today. I think he would be really good. Either him or uh, is it Lakeith Stanfield? Yeah. That was yeah. In, uh, uh, he was in um, uh, Sorry to Bother You. Yes. Yep. Both of them are incredible actors. And I think both of them would be great in the role of Jules. Okay. Either one of them could like nail that if we were doing like a modern day adaptation of it. And as far as the uh, John Travolta character, you know, I've, I've kind of been a fan of, of Joseph Gordon-Levitt for a while. So we're m- moving on. Uh, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be good in John Travolta's character because I, I think that he's a really good actor. Recasting with... Um, yeah, so I named my actress Valerie Cast that way. <laughs> you got that right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But is there anybody that you would recommend? Oh no, I don't. I don't even think about these. That's why I have guests, so I don't have to think oh. about it. So I don't even bother. You just ask other people that, right? You're like, I don't have to. Okay. Yeah, I let okay. them come up with that because now your last part is you're selling someone new on Pulp Fiction. How do you make the sale? Pitch it to me. Seeing it for the first time, revisiting oh my, if I didn't get it the first time. Oh my god, that's like, man, dude, that is a really, I don't know honestly <laughs> because I'm just like, I'm like, you haven't fucking seen that film. Why? You're missing out. Like, I, 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 I don't. It's so good. I don't know how to sell it other than that, like, because you can't go with the IMDb. Right, exactly. Now, now that's that your turn to tell sell you it. enough about it. No, no, you get to sell it. Ugh. I just, I feel like I would just grab somebody and be like, why have you not seen this? <laughs> like, watch this movie. It is the best. Like, the dialogue is the best. The way the storylines overlap. And what a lot of people don't get about it, <clears throat> in my opinion, is that it's about redemption. And that's what I think a lot of people that have either only seen it once or casually watched it or something they don't get is the fact that redemption, the, the, the subject matter of redemption, I think that gets lost on a lot of people. 
because if you look at the characters in the film, the characters that like change their ways or try to do better or whatever, they're the ones that really survive and thrive. Whereas the ones that don't, they're the ones that end up dead, gone. I mean, and, and it, for real, like if you look at like, so the Hitman character that we were talking about recasting earlier, look at which one survives. That's true. Very true. You've got one that like, he's like, because if, if you were to, if you were to spend, if you were to like recut that movie in chronological order, maybe more people would get that, but it wouldn't be an, as interesting of a film, in my opinion. Just in the same way, if you were to like, if you did that with 21 Grams or Babel or, hell, Memento, if you sold Memento in order, that movie would suck. And I love Memento. That's an incredible film. I mean, Memento is fucking amazing, man. That's like, I know it's Christopher Nolan's earlier works, but like, right. fuck, dude, the way that movie is told, the climax of the movie is in the middle. If you told it chronologically, you would have already known what's going on halfway through the film, and you would not have given a shit storytelling and the way a story is told is is so important and as a filmmaker i look i look at that kind of stuff be like what's the best way for me to tell a story that i'm writing or even in in a documentary like what is the best way to tell this story i've got all these interviews how do i tell this story in the way it needs to be told all of that comes into play no matter whether it's narrative or documentary like the storytelling is a is an important aspect of that and so if, if that story had been told chronologically, maybe more people would have gotten it the first time, but it wouldn't have been as good. In the same way that if Memento was told chronologically, okay, we get what's going on, but it wouldn't have been as good. Like you wouldn't have held people. They would be like, all right, I know what's going on. I can cut it off now. They might not have watched it toward the end. And I think Pulp Fiction is in the same way in that aspect. Like, the the way a story is told is, is just as important as the story itself in a lot of ways. Because you, you, can, you can have a really good... Look, there are a lot of movies out there that started off with a really good script that were delivered terribly, I'm sure. I can believe that. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, and there's a lot of... I mean, I'm... On the other end, there's probably a lot of like really good scripts out there that got butchered in the directing and editing aspect as well, and the casting as well. But I mean, that's part of the that's when it comes to film. There's so many. I don't know. There's so many people involved, and there's so many layers to it. And I think with this film, with Pulp Fiction, there's so many layers to it, and there's so many characters that you want to know what happens to them or where they came from and and how they interact with each other there's so much to that story i feel like if you told it in any other way it would not have been as powerful and it would not have come across as strongly as it did and probably wouldn't want an oscar especially if it was told chronologically because i mean think about it chronologically like you wouldn't have the end diner scene Right, because like John Travolta would have already been dead at that point. That would have been like in the middle of the movie. Yeah. So like, what started the movie and what ended the movie would have been in the middle, and it would not have been nearly as powerful. Right. 
in the storytelling aspect of this movie in like the proper chronological order and it probably sucks it probably sucks exactly which is why ain't nobody trying to buy that shit on dvd right now you know it would suck so i'm also kind of a tarantino nerd boy in the fact that i look at how his films connect like the vega brothers is a connection and then you know uh what is uh from *Dust Till Dawn* and *Kill Bill* one and two are part of his cinematic universe, not his real universe. Jackie Brown is a completely separate thing because that was a different author to start with. But even with like *Inglorious Bastards*, you had a connection to his universe. With *Django Unchained*, you had a connection to his universe. With *The Hateful Eight, you had a connection to his universe. In that, like, even like when it comes to like the names of the characters, right? And for me, as a filmmaker, as a writer, I look up to that kind of that attention to detail because I find that so amazing and fascinating. Where you can tie this film, this in a completely different time period, a completely different, but you can still tie a character to this other character. You have a glitch. You yeah, you glitch, but you're back. Like. You, you could have this connection with a character to this other character in a different time period because that's like his great uncle or some shit. Right. Even as minor as it can be, it still ties his universe together. And I respect the shit out of that. All right. Well, let me let me ask you this real quick, just because I want to get your opinion on this. You've seen sure. Death Proof, right? Yes. Yes. You've, love you've it. seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Love it. All right. Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell, Stuntman Mike in Death Proof, and he's Stuntman Randy in Once Upon a Time. Are they related? Wait, 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 wait. Stump in- <clears throat> he's Stuntman Mike in Death Proof. That's Kurt Russell's character's name. Uh huh. And in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, when you go back in Brad Pitt's history with the Stuntman, it's Kurt mm-hmm. Russell. He's also a Stuntman. He's Stuntman Randy oh. instead of Stuntman Mike. I think it's so- got to be his dad or his uncle or something. Well, what's interesting about that is I would consider Death Proof to be part of the cinematic universe because it was in a double feature with Planet Terror. Uh, Planet Terror, thank you, which was a zombie film, which would have been in his cinematic universe. So if there is a connection, then you just like ripped a fucking <laughs> like I don't I don't know. There's some like ripping the like space time continuum at that point. If that if that is a thing. Because otherwise, I would I would say no on principle, because of not ripping the space time continuum in that aspect. <laughs> Even though no, it, that does make sense. But Death Proof and Planet Terror were not part of his universe; they were part of the cinematic universe. So, in other words, like somebody from, let's say, Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs or something, they could go to a movie theater and watch. Death Proof, Planet Terror, uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Um, God, what am I forgetting? Uh, Kill Bill 1 and 2. And it would be a different thing because it would be cinematic universe versus his real universe. And because of the Planet Terror zombie aspect, I would put that in his cinematic universe. So, like, dude, that is a really good fucking question, man. Has anybody asked that to Tarantino? Do you know of? I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard it addressed. I know I've thought about it. I would love for that to be addressed like on principle because that would blow the fucking 
like all the theories about his like multi levels of universes, like the real universe, the cinematic universe, yeah. and then Jackie Brown being it's just completely own thing. That would blow that fucking yeah, dude. That would blow a hole in all of that theory. I'm super interested in that. If you yeah. find more on that, please let me know. All right, I'll do it. Because that is that is fascinating. Yeah, I I don't know. I would consider Planet Terror to be part of the cinematic universe, but shit. Well, if there's I mean, crossover, how do you look, how do you look at Planet Terror from Dust Till Dawn? Because they're technically Robert Rodriguez movies. Well, he's the. I, I mean, Tarantino helped yeah, write them, but exactly, and that's the thing. Like, so even in um. Uh, True Romance. Yeah, I mean, Tarantino wrote True Romance, and he wrote uh, uh, Natural Born Killers. Even though True Romance was a Tony Scott film, Natural Born Killers was Oliver Stone. Yep. But you can still tell that he wrote that shit. I mean, he's got a writing style. That's true. You can usually know it when it's on screen. Like, you're like, okay, Tarantino wrote the shit. Like, yeah. So... But even like so, even with a uh, true romance ties into um, um, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Does it? Yeah. Apparently, yeah. I need to go so, back and revisit. In Reservoir Dogs, you remember when uh, uh, I can't remember the the boss man's name, but he's asking Harvey Keitel's character, Mister White. He asked him, he's like, "How's Alabama?" Alabama was Patricia Arquette. Right, right, yeah. And Harvey Keitel, Mr. White, he says, she's a good little thief. Hmm. So in the Tarantino universe, Patricia Arquette's character, Alabama, continues her life of crime in Reservoir Dogs because she's referenced in there. But because he sold that script, Tony Scott did the happy ending because in Tarantino's script, um... Clarence, which is a uh, uh, Christian Slater, Christian Slater's character, he dies in the script, but in the movie he lives. That's yeah. the Tony Scott version. But if you actually, if you read the script, I, I actually read that script a while back. It's been a while, but I did read it. So Clarence dies in the original True Romance script, which would allow Alabama to continue her life of crime with Mister White. Hmm. Harvey Cattell's character in Reservoir Dogs. But Tony Scott changed it. But if you actually look at the original script, because honestly, man, this is a really interesting part of the true romance script, if you didn't know. So, and if you read the true romance script, like, do you know how she got the name Alabama? No. That's in the script. It's not in the movie. They cut the scene. But if you read the script, and this is what I love about this kind of shit, man, like the way it ties together and even as like, I don't know, I, I, I'm a writer as well. So like I, I've written scripts. So it, if you read the actual true romance script, her character was delivered on a bus and the bus driver pulled the bus over. And I forgot what the bus driver's name was, but when, when her parents had her on the bus they asked the bus driver, they were like, what's your name? We want to name our daughter after you. And whatever his name was, they were like, that's not going to work. And then they were like, where are you from? And he says, Alabama. And that's uh, how they named yeah. it. Hmm. I, no, I never knew that. Yeah. So if you, if you read the, the original True Romance script, 
um, that Tarantino wrote, which also is not in order. Like the way you watch that movie is not the way he wrote it. So you remember uh, 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 Michael Rappaport's character? Yep. So they, they drove to California. They met up with him, right? And he calls him on the phone. He's like, yo, I got married, blah, blah, blah. Married this woman in Alabama. And then they go see him, right? So in the script, that's earlier, if hmm. I remember correctly. Like they're talking to him and all the stuff that leads up to them going to California is told as like a prequel almost. The hmm. way the script is written is not. It, so like that movie is told like linear but the script itself is not linear. Okay. It starts with him like in that phone booth talking to him and being like, oh shit, you got married? And he's like, yeah. And then like, how did y'all meet? And it goes into the whole history. So if they had shot it that way, it probably would have been more like Pulp Fiction. Yeah. If he yeah. hadn't sold it, like if Tarantino had directed it instead of Tony Scott, it probably would have been that way. You're probably right. But it's, it's a really good script, first of all, because it's just, I mean, the film is great and the script is great. But like if you read Tarantino's original script on that, yeah, I mean, it's not linear and you actually learn where Alabama got her name. All right. Like there's, there's things that got cut from the film that I think would have been important or would have been at least interesting to know. But like Tony Scott didn't think so. And he told it in a linear way. And that's what we got. But I think he made money from selling that script. Yeah, probably. In order to make uh, Reservoir Dogs. So, I mean, it worked out in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic film. But All right, Josh. I think that's going to wrap this one up. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? Um, okay, so you can find me at joshcarples.com, and my last name is spelled C-A-R-P-L-E-S, and uh, all of my links are there. I'm also the owner of Terrible Master Film, which is terriblemasterfilms.com, and uh, my film Remembering Anarcha is on all um, or most video-on-demand platforms as of May 4th, and Josh, thank you for having me. I have enjoyed this conversation in all of its drunkenness and <laughs> all the people that have jumped in and all that. <laughs> I as, hope you have too. Oh yeah, this has been a fun one. And as always, you can follow the show at YNF Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to come back next week as I'll have a different guest and a different movie. And who knows, that may become your next favorite movie. You guys take care. I'll talk to you next time.